The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Hello and welcome to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Catherine Johnston. And I'm Emma Grenfeld. Hello. Uh, thanks for listening. So on today's show we've got a series of interviews with some women involved in the arts world who are all um, people that I met at the Arab Women Artists Pilot Festival, which was on Saturday the 7th of March at the RIP mix we wanted to make the show kind of themed around their work and what it is to be an Arab woman artist now now (laughs) now specifically um and looking at how that identity has informed their work you may have noticed that we had um some music leading us in which um I recorded when I was in Morocco recently so that is from Marrakesh. Um, so Catherine, what, what was the festival like? What, were you, what did you experience? I really, really enjoyed it. As you can imagine, most people there were um, women and they were people with some kind of background or affinity to the Arab world. I was one of a few people who actually um, don't have any Arab kind of roots um, but it was quite nice to see other people there who really had just gone along because they were interested and it was just really interesting it was fascinating and there's so much kind of discussion around feminism around um, travel restrictions um, around kind of the relationships between different countries in the region and there are lots of really controversial topics addressed actually the event was organized by um, a group called the arts canteen and their sort of mission and ethos is to try and provide a a place for people who are interested in art and culture um, from the Middle East and Arab um, countries in particular to kind of get together and to try and build a bit of a cultural understanding. So they're doing all kinds of fun events. um, And if you are interested in learning a bit more, then I would definitely check them out. The first clip I have is from Asa El Saka and he is from the Arts Canteen and he told us a bit about how and why the event came about. We realised that there is underrepresentation of Arab women artists in Europe, especially from the second generation. I do uh, hope that uh, as a collective piece of work between Arts Canteen and the other partners in both Spain and Belgium, uh, to come up with um, um, a way of, of presenting ourselves as a festival next year. And uh, this festival will be open to all artists from different backgrounds, from different generations, and I would really like to have a cutting-edge um, uh, uh, digital media involved as well. So a one, hopefully one day will be a, 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 an annual festival. There is also a multicultural, multi-ethnic, uh, multi-religious Arab female artists today. So it's not only about Arab Muslims, it's, it's about um, who we are today, how we are fit in all of these um, uh, mosaics of, of, of art as a, as, a, as, a, as a whole. And um, I guess 
the media play a major role in uh, in um, undermining some on some occasions um, the the power uh, of, of of Arab women, and the priority is always politics and violence. Unfortunately, so it is nice to have uh, a positive image. Um, with all of these uh, artists where they can practice uh, this form of arts on a free, spirited stage, if I may say One of the sections in the day was a panel discussion. Hannah Khalil and Yasmin Aldabi and Tanya Digri were all on the panel and we were able to speak to all three of them. Um, so I'll start off with Yasmin, who's a good friend of mine, and she is a film curator. If you want to find out more about Yasmin, she's involved with the Noor Film Festival, which is from the 22nd of October to the 8th of November 2015. Again, it's based on contemporary Middle Eastern and North African arts and culture, and it's in Kensington and Chelsea. So when I was listening to your panel discussion, um, what really struck me, Yasmin in particular, when you talked about how you started doing your film festivals, and now you work as a film curator, um, for quite a few festivals, but you set up your own Nana Film Festival, and you said that you did that because you just couldn't find Egyptian films to watch over here. So that really stood out to me because I couldn't believe that in London, which is meant to be the most multicultural, yeah. diverse place. Yeah, this was 2010, so kind of pre Noor Festival, pre Shabbat Festival, pre BBC Arabic doing their kind of Arabic film festival. Um, none of that was around at that time, and I just I just couldn't find any Arabic films with subtitles. I could find I found Egyptian films. I mean, and my my dad's got the satellite for the Arabic TV, and there were hundreds of Egyptian films being played on that, but none of them with subtitles. So it wasn't that useful for me at that time because I couldn't understand really anything. Yeah, that's really that's where it started, and, and I went and I started searching, and I thought there must be a festival or some kind of event going on that's surrounding Arab films, and so I looked and I looked and I couldn't find anything. Um, and eventually, uh, all I did was go down to Edgware Road and try and find DVDs that were with subtitles, and my search came back with two that I watched that I paid about 20-odd quid for, um, and they were really, really depressing films. And I thought, these are not the films of Egypt. They've chosen the two most depressing films to put English subtitles with. And so that was kind of the start of my quest, really. And I think something that was really interesting after the panel discussion, a few people that came up to talk to me afterwards that were all um, mixed. So, you know, as I said, I'm half Egyptian and half English. Um, a lot of people that came up to me had different kind of mixed cultural backgrounds. And I think that's something that really resonates with people and not just people who are from an Arab slash British or whatever background it's people from all all backgrounds and also people that are that are not that are just interested and they're yeah. kind of um, I'd say that probably in 2015 living in London even if you're completely English and you probably still have similar issues because we live in a very multicultural city where things are changing all the time Tanya Digri is a dancer and event producer and she um, specialises in lots of different types of dance. She's amazing, but she is um, half Jordanian and therefore particularly interested and um, skilled at what, well, what I would call belly dancing. But I didn't realise that actually that's not really the correct term. 
Rakasar Shaki is really the term in Arabic which means dance of the East and that probably should be used, not should, but you know, it could be used more in a more mainstream context to describe belly dances and Middle Eastern dance forms. Um, because then it, there's such a wide variety of dances from the Middle East, you know, so rather than just, than just coining it belly dance, um, because it's perceived in different ways, you know, belly dance can be perceived as something that's, you know, quite erotic and, you know, it can be performed in a quite, like, provocative manner and actually, like, the roots of it are very different and it's got a, very much a social um, commentary behind it. The actual roots of the dance, you know, come from, like, birthing rituals, so it's more like a dance celebrated by women for women and then celebrating the female form, you know, um, to help them with giving child, <laughs> birth to a child, that's kind of, like, where it originally starts from. So it's very much a celebratory dance, celebratory dance of um, the female form. Yeah, so that's something, you know, obviously it's been part of my culture from the start. You know, I'm part Jordanian, always loved learning it, and it, I learned it in a social setting. <laughs> so that's really interesting, thinking of it as a kind of, like, antenatal um, classes. I definitely prefer <laughs> yeah. it to, to all the breathing exercises. Have you ever done any Middle Eastern dance? I've done I've done some hip-hop dance, as you might be aware. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> no, I'm terrible at dancing. That's the real truth here. Only hip-hop, and it was horrible. The only thing I ever got complimented on my hip-hop dancing was that I made a good kind of angry face. Like, you know, you've got to have attitudes. And the teacher was like, yeah, you've got the attitude face, but... I didn't have to move to that. So our final interview is with playwright Hannah Khalil, and we asked her um, how she got involved with Awan and when she came to consider herself an Arab woman artist. It's hard to say exactly when that happened. I think probably the first time I thought of myself as an Arab woman artist was when Aster asked me to take part in the Arab woman artist yeah. Nata. Um, because, because I am mixed race, because I'm Palestinian um, Irish, and um, but I did grow up in Dubai, and so I was around... Um, Arabic culture a lot and it's been a really big part of of my life in, in that you know my dad's a very sort of present figure in in my head and and, and in existence so um, but in terms of my art I spent the first few years writing avoiding writing directly about Palestine it was something I was very frightened of writing about it seemed like too big a subject for me to, to deal with um, and so I wrote lots of plays where you would have maybe one or two Arab characters but that didn't deal with the themes of, of Palestine at all. And um, then I went to a, a seminar at SOAS, um, which was about um, oral histories, and I heard all these amazing stories about what had happened to Palestinians in 1948, and really personal stories, and I it gave me a sort of handle on things and made me feel kind of confident and inspired and so I went away and wrote my play Plan D which is the first play I wrote about Palestine um, and yeah and, and sort of now annoyingly I can't seem to write about anything else <laughs> that's not entirely true but I do tend to now write a lot of stories about Palestine and that it's because it's so ripe for, for drama that, that scenario and yeah and I have a keen sense of injustice and <laughs> and so that's that's a, that's a world that sort of yeah is fascinating and horrifying and, and worthy of, of, of writing about I think so I guess as well as a kind of familiarity with that topic and, and interest in it and that's why you're writing about it are you trying to kind of achieve a political aim are you trying to kind of maybe educate people who aren't aware of a culture or well I think I think what I'm trying to achieve is 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 to make people look at that situation anew and to not be frightened of it. I feel like I'm in a position where having 
been uh, schooled um, from a, a t- as a teenager in this country. Um, I have a very um, middle-class perspective on the world. I have access to that perspective, let's say. And um, even though my father is Palestinian, he didn't really talk about political things that much at home. And so I didn't really understand the situation. And part of the reason I was frightened to write about Palestine was because I felt like I didn't have... Like, it was too much effort to kind of invest in learning and understanding. It was too much for me to get my head around. And I feel like I want to write for that audience member, for someone who's afraid to actually... Who sees this on the news and... and sort of has access to the news and what's been happening in the last five years but actually you know Oslo, Intifada, what are all these things I don't really know and actually what I'd like to do is to create a forum where these things become more accessible and of course in writing something about Palestine of course it's political I can't help but make it political and I am a Palestinian so I you know and I have family in the West Bank and friends in Gaza so I of course want things to change but I think my main goal is to try and make this subject more accessible for for normal people so that they can go away and actually do some research and look at things and I don't want to be didactic and I don't want to write a play that's a history book. I want to pique people's interest and make it make it accessible. That's that's really my goal, I think. Okay. Um, just something you were kind of talking about before, that when you were younger, your, your dad, although he's Palestinian, didn't really kind of bring you into the kind of the history of it and, and exactly what was going on. Why do you, do you think that it was? Um, I don't know. I suspect partly it's because it's very painful. I think this is this is one of the really cruel things about diaspora um, and really effective things about occupation and driving people away from their homes is that I can only imagine what the feeling must be to leave your home and your family and to, to face such horrible interrogation and, and difficulty to, to go back and visit. And I, I expect there's a feeling of real... Well, really complicated feelings of shame and, and alienation. And, and I think, you know, I now have a daughter of my own who's three and I find it really difficult to talk to her about a lot of different subjects. Yeah, I, and actually part of another reason why I write plays is for her, actually, um, so that she better understands um, her heritage. And, yeah, so I, 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 think, I think that's probably why, but I don't know. I've never had that conversation directly with him, and maybe I should. Maybe he'll listen to this and maybe we'll have that conversation. <laughs> Send <it> the link. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting because my dad is very comfortable with me as a Palestinian, you know, sort of, uh, and he shares our culture in the ways um, that, that best suit him, ideally, yeah. and, like, mainly food, yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I, I, think it's, I think it's, you know, maybe he was trying to... I expect he's trying to protect me to be honest um, you know it's, it's, it's really hard and the things that happen there and I have access to a lot of the stories in a lot of my plays do come from him but they're sort of much more they're not stories about sort of uh, frontline war they're stories beautiful family stories about my grandmother and, and, and my uncles and aunts and my cousins and every, everything I write is all the way through uh, stories from both my parents but yeah the Palestinian stories all come from my dad How has your work kind of been received um, by your family and other people in Palestine? Is there a kind of profile of it over there? I don't don't really know. It's it's sort of hard to say. I I know my family are all very proud in the West Bank that I'm writing about Palestine. I'm pleased about it, but there hasn't been any productions of my work. My play Plan D is about to be published in the States 
in the first ever anthology of plays by Palestinians, which is really exciting because it's got three plays by writers who are inside Palestine and three from the diaspora, and it's being edited by um, Naomi Wallace, and hopefully that will bring a new audience to, to those, all of those plays. And then I've got another short play that's going on in San Francisco um, in October, which, again, is really exciting because it will be like a new audience and, and it will be interesting to see what people make of it and, and the stories I'm telling. But I hope, even though a lot of the plays are specifically about Palestine, that they're also quite universal and that there's, you know, stories that they tend to all be sort of family stories and they all have my dad and me and my mum. In. <laughs> so, you know, it's sort of that, that's sort of how I... That's how I I work personal as political, I guess. I was watching um, a video on, is it Indiegogo? It's the Indiegogo. crowdfunding platform yeah. for your new play. That's not yeah. And um, you were talking about it with respect to the idea of it is about you know sharing voices of Palestinians. And um, you're not, lots of people you write about this subject try and kind of balance and show both sides. And it's very kind of tricky, tentative political ground. Um, but I thought it was quite interesting that you're explicitly saying, no, that's not what we're trying to do. It is all about the Palestinian voice. That particular play, so that scene's from 68 years. I mean, I gave the play the worst title ever. I thought it was really smart, because when I wrote it, um, I can't remember, I wrote it a couple of years ago, so maybe it was 65 years. I thought Scenes from 65 years is a really good title, but it has a star next to the, to the number, the idea being that every year it goes up until occupation ends. But it's really difficult because whenever you're writing about it, you're already already out of date. So. Um, but anyway, so um, but with that play, I did submit it to a few theatres um, in London and wider regionally in the UK. And actually, it was more the theatre community that was very uncomfortable with telling a story that was so partisan. Um, they wanted something which is not something that I can write, which, which is um, something that also shows the Israeli perspective. And I, I, I definitely would be very interested in writing something like that in collaboration with um, uh, someone who uh, felt pro, uh, pro-Israeli. Um, and actually, I have an idea and I have approached different funding bodies to try and get some money to work on something um, that, that's like that. But, but this play's not that. And, and actually, when we did Plan D, my first play, I was slightly nervous about what the reaction might be from perhaps people in the audience who felt pro-Israeli. I didn't, I didn't have any negative feedback at all on that, in that respect, but I did get some negative feedback from Palestinians, which I, I found very, very difficult and, um, yeah, really, really troubling. And... Uh, sort of telling me that I had no right to be talking about these subjects and that it wasn't their experience of what 1948 had been. And, um, but it was very interesting. The director said to me, uh, you, need to, you need to be aware that you know, Palestine, because of the situation on the ground in Palestine, it's very much um, a country of the mind, of the imagination, um, because it doesn't have any literal borders. It doesn't have a status. And so uh, people's... Um, version of that, you know, people in the diaspora, their version of that country is very sacred to them and you're, you're trying to represent it and if it's not their version then that, that's very complicated for people. Because there is an emphasis placed on feminism at the festival, we asked Hannah whether feminism influenced her practice, especially in regards to her play of The Last of the Pearl Fishers. Um, I don't really think in those terms, but what I, I trained initially as an actor and I found it very frustrating there weren't very many interesting parts for, for women um, and particularly Arab women and older Arab women or women of different diverse colour and so I, I, I want to write parts for women it's, it's what I want to do um, and I want to write 
at parts for Arabs because <laughs> I have a lot of very, very talented Arab actor friends who constantly working as terrorists and it's just dull. Um, but that but that play is, is very, very close to my heart, Last of the Pearl Fishers, because um, when I was growing up in Dubai, we had a house girl um, and um, she was from the Philippines and she was really close to my brother and I, she was basically sort of like a big sister, but obviously she wasn't because she was the maid in our house, but I adored her and that kind of complicated, that, that as an adult I can look back and see that slightly complicated, that relationship. Anyway, very sadly a few years ago she died of cancer and so that play is very much written for her um, and, and I also sort of find it very complicated that the, the whole of the Middle East, particularly the UAE, um, has this culture of, um, of, of, well, oppression, basically, of migrant workers and, and the way that value of life depends on where you come from. I mean, that happens all over the world, but the way that Western people who are based um, in the UAE and the Middle East more widely can forget their Western liberalism very easily yeah. um, when, when, when they move or go on holiday and close their eyes to that stuff and, and I find that really, really, really difficult, that double standard. It's also something that I suppose um, the Palestinians who have left and have gone to other countries to try and live and work in the Arab world, there's discrimination based there. Oh, as massive, well, there? massive discrimination and that's another thing that I find really difficult. One of the things that came up at the um, Arab Women Artists Now uh, talk was they wanted us to talk about sort of uh, travel restrictions mm. and, and restriction of movement. And obviously I have a British passport, so it's relatively easy for me to move around. But what was really interesting is some of the others talked about how difficult it is if you're an Arab to travel to other Arab countries. Um, and that, you know, so things like that, restriction of movement in that sense, it seems sort of crackers. That kind of brings me onto a question I was sort of thinking about, which is it's called like Arab women artists now and obviously you identify as being Parsi and Arabic but how much do you connect to that kind of Arab world as a whole or it's, how it, does that it's sort of I, I don't know I don't really think that I do and I sort of it's why it's funny I've been commissioned to write a play for the Shubak Festival and um, just a short play and um, and I said yeah yeah of course I'd love to write a play um, by Sam Pitt Arts um, and then I was asked well what was I going to write about and I said oh, I don't know <laughs> I don't know yet I have to wait and see what comes to me and a couple of things were brought up as sort of suggestions and I was asked if I might write something about ISIS and Syria but it's not I don't feel that comfortable writing anything about that and again it's sort of maybe the same thing as when before I wrote my first play about Palestine I maybe feel like I need to feel like I have a grasp a really good grasp on, on that subject and, and and also that you know when I write anything about Palestine it's always filled with people who I know and again you know whenever I well basically all my plays are filled with people who I know I just hope they don't recognise themselves <laughs> they haven't yet um, so except my mum my mum always spots herself which is kind of troubling but uh, wider our world no I don't think I do associate myself with that but I do associate myself as a Palestinian writer but also as an Irish writer I have been constantly looking for links between Palestine and an Ireland you know literal historical links and I found I have found one which is that um, the, the notorious uh, military force, the Black and Tans, 
who were responsible for keeping the Irish down free the Irish Free State after they were disbanded because of um, because of the Irish Free State being formed um, many of them were reconscripted and sent to um, mandated Palestine to use the same methods to keep the locals down and, and the Jewish yeah. and I, I'm writing a play at the moment I am in second or third draft of it about this very fact that's so, yeah, yeah so that's very exciting yeah we'll look forward to hearing more about that mm. definitely she also told us about how she was crowdfunding for her latest venture this latest play is this this, this badly titled scenes from 68 years it's going to go on at the arcola theater in dalston next april and it will run for a month and it's uh, being described as an epic snapshot of life under occupation so the idea is we see lots of different kind of scenes of often just sort of family life um, and it's full of black humour and and I hope it's sort of interesting. All of the stories are stories that people told me after my play Plan D so I'd be sat in the bar afterwards and people come up and say this is what's happening to my family or this is what happened to my family and so it sort of uses all of those. We'll be working with six um, Arab actors in London and hopefully one actor in Palestine so the idea is there's a Skype conversation in one of the scenes and I'm really hoping that what we're going to do is do a live Skype call every night to Palestine which I think will really bring the situation and the realness of it to the audience um, so that's exciting and we're currently fundraising for the first little bit of money that we need to, to secure the theatre and we're doing it on Indiegogo so um, if anyone wants to support us we're doing really well we're only five days in and we've got 35% of our target oh, so yeah so hope, hopefully we'll get there I'm, I'm confident I'm feeling very confident and uh, yeah and it should be good I'm really excited about it we've got a great great uh, team the same team that did Plan D so I'm confident that it's going to be really good it was great meeting Hannah, and I think what was really interesting talking to her was especially her kind of interaction with her dad and their shared culture, how they shared it together. And she talked about, you know, they have the Palestinian food, they do those kind of things, but that he wasn't really involved in talking to her about Palestine itself. And it kind of struck a chord with me and my own family is my dad's from Russia and my dad doesn't really talk to me about those kind of things. He doesn't talk a lot about Russia and it's a kind of, it's a part of your family history that you're very interested in but you can kind of tell sometimes when someone doesn't really want to go into details and so that's really interesting that Hannah started to explore that like through her plays and exploring that kind of history and also that really interesting that she said that, that was a way of also explaining it to her daughter that was yeah. a really nice thing as well and I think what also came through to me was because during Awan festival lots of different people spoke about how having a language can really link you and if you don't have the language then you have to find other ways to get involved with their culture and I know that not speaking Arabic in Yasmin's interview she talked about how that really started her journey trying to learn more about um, Egyptian cinema since then she started to um, learn Arabic but that was kind of echoed with Hannah who has said that it's really difficult for her to when people meet her to really see her as being Palestinian because she she doesn't speak um, Arabic Hannah talked us through some of the benefits and frustrations of having a mixed background. Um, it's really, it's a really interesting question. So, a very talented uh, Palestinian writer, Palestinian American writer, wrote recently um, in, a, in an, an article and in which he talked about the sort of the privilege and frustration of his white skin. And so, I'm in this weird position, and also because of my voice, you know, I have an RP accent, so I sound English. I look English, apparently. Um, so, I get from both sides, from Irish and Palestinian, that. You know, I, so I'm neither. I'm both, and yet I'm neither. And um, 
And I do, what I find quite frustrating, I find it frustrating when um, I meet other um, Arabs and they say, oh, you're very white. And I say, I sort of feel like I have to apologise. Um, and then and then there's sort of this weird scale of Arabness. So, you know, the fact that I don't speak Arabic, I go down a notch. Um, but then I write about Palestine, I kind of go up a notch. And then my daughter has an Arabic name, so I go up again. You know, so it's this sort of weird... It's this weird thing, and the frustration of being in between two things is actually also sort of a joy because it means that I have a unique perspective, and I think that gives me the ability to write about things and maybe a freedom to write about things that I wouldn't have if I was one or the other. And the same with this sort of frustration of not speaking Arabic. Another great writer wrote something about how, and he spoke in different languages, lots of, I think it might have been Joseph Conrad, but I'm not sure, I can't remember who it was, but who spoke several languages, basically said his frustration was that he never felt like he had quite the right word for anything because he had access to so many words in so many languages and so I, I always try and console myself that maybe actually the fact that I only have one language means that I'm using it to the best of my ability rather than sk skating about through lots of different languages to find the right word. I mean, that's, that's what I hope anyway. <laughs> I know that you've been trying to learn a bit of Russian. Yeah, I mean, I got the alphabet down. That was pretty good. That's about where I am. But yes, there's a really interesting range of guests that you spoke to. Hopefully there'll be one next year, right? Yeah, that's the hope. I think that if you would like to find out more about the types of work going on and watch more films set in different places, there's loads of great, the Egyptian film industry kind of dominates, but there's um, great films being made in Jordan and other places as well. And if you want to get more involved with that then there are all of these great events and festivals and it would be fantastic if you show your support and of course hannah's play is starting next april hopefully yeah so that'd uh, be great we'll go to that yeah we're gonna have very loose women night out thanks uh, for listening bye bye for full versions of our shows check out verylosewomen.wordpress.com this program was brought to you by resonance 104.4 fm Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.